looking at John chapter 18. We're going to start with the 13th verse. In our reading today, we're getting into the meat of the passion of Christ. You know what the passion of Christ is? The passion of Christ is his suffering and his death. It's the passion of Christ. Many Christians throughout the world just celebrated the Passion Week of Christ. And we're getting to the meat of it now, where he's on trial. And it's unfathomable to think. I mean, to me, I can't even comprehend how the eternal Son of God, who created the universe, is on trial. The sovereign God of the universe allows himself to be tried by sinful men. Sinful men that he created. Not sin, but men that he created who were sinful. And he allows them for his divine purposes to be tried by sinful men. Jesus willfully experienced humiliation and suffering. As I said the last time I spoke, it was his will to do it. No one took his life from him. Jesus was not this poor victim. But he did it so he could fulfill his father's will for your redemption and my redemption. And not only was he tried by the Jewish leaders of Israel, but he was denied by one of his own. Have you ever denied him? Um, I'm going to ask you to think about something before you answer that question. As we go through this text, I want you to think if you ever denied him. And, and when we end, if the answer is yes, which I think every one of us will be able to say, yes, I denied the Lord Jesus somehow, some way. There's great grace beyond your sin of denial for forgiveness. Let's go to John 18, chapter, chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. 
When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent them back to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are are not one of this of not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Please pray with me. Father, open our hearts and minds to understand what the Savior went through on our behalf. Let us not become indifferent to this section in John's Gospel that we've heard so many times. But let us become more in love with the Savior who went through such humiliation for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a story I want to read to you, I want to open up with. In, in Richard Wormbrand's book, Tortured for Christ, the story goes like this. And I've heard this story before. Maybe some of you have heard this story before. I never knew where it came from, but now I know. When the Russians occupied Romania, two armed Russian soldiers entered a church with their guns in their hands. They said, we don't believe in your faith. Those who do not abandon it will be immediately shot at once. Those who abandon your faith move to the right. Some move to the right, who were then ordered to leave the church and go home. They fled for their lives. When the Russians were alone with the remaining Christians, they embraced them and confessed, we too are Christians, but we wish to have fellowship only with those who consider the truth worth dying for. Now, this is a true story. There are those who profess Christ, but like Peter, when the world begins to press them about Jesus, they deny him. You see, you might think Jesus went to a trial 2,000 years ago and it's over. No, the trial is still on. Guess who's being tried? The church. The world still puts Christ on trial and when those who are standing in the courtyard of the world and the world begins to press them about their Savior, they crumble and deny Him. Now this can be any one of us. It would be utterly foolish to say, I would never deny Jesus. Well, Paul tells Corinthians in his first letter to them, the 10th chapter, the 12th verse, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he falls. So we should never be quick to say, like Peter, I will never deny you, Lord. And here's my proposition to you. And I want you to think about when the world puts Jesus on trial, and he does, Jesus is still on trial, do you deny him? Three points I'm going to bring to you tonight. Because of your faith in Christ, you are on trial. Point two, because of your faith in Christ, you will also be questioned. And point three, because of your faith in Christ, is it possible to deny him. Let's go to point one. Because of your faith in Christ, you 
myself, and every believing Christian are on trial. Verse 13. First they led him, meaning Jesus, to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Jesus is now being led to his first trial. This was a religious trial before the religious Jewish leaders, which consisted of the high priest and the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council. The second trial, which the next time I speak we'll talk about, is in front of Pilate. That was more of a political trial or a civil trial. But now Jesus is at the religious trial and the opening scene is Jesus before Annas the high priest, which only John records. The other three gospels do not record this. And John tells us that Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was high priest that year. Annas was the high priest but was removed by the Roman official Valerius Gratus, and his son-in-law Caiaphas was put in his place. But the Jews still considered Annas high priest. And there's a reason. Because in Numbers 35-25 it says the high priest was a high priest for life. So the Jews still considered Annas high priest because according to the Mosaic law, once a year, or once you become a high priest, you are a high priest for life. So the Jews still had this great respect for Annas and they still considered him the high priest. Even though Caiaphas was in really the official quote-unquote high priest. So why did, you know, verse 24 says Annas then brought Jesus to Caiaphas. Why did he bring him to Caiaphas if he was, if the Jews considered him high priest? Because they couldn't bring an official charge to Pilate unless it was by an official high priest. So the trial itself was illegal and it was improper. Without taking the time to give all the details, the trial was illegal according to their own law, at least 12 reasons why it was terribly illegal. But when sin blinds minds and hearts, the rules change, don't they? They change. For the Jews, it changed. They didn't follow their own law. They were so bent on the smallest detail of the law, and yet, because hatred filled their hearts, they were willing to bend their own law. They wanted Jesus dead at any cost. Dr. Donald Carson says, theologically, the Jews in chapters 18 and 19 are presented as those who cling to the minutiae of the law while failing to understand how the Lord points to Jesus the Messiah. They aim to execute Jesus as a lawbreaker, whereas if they understood the law right, they would become Jesus' followers. You see, as you read the New Testament in the Gospels, it was a deliberate misunderstanding of their own law. And God, in His sovereignty, allowed this to take place. See, God is sovereign. He used them. They were like puppets in God's hand. Verse 14 tells us, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas said that back in chapter 11, if you remember. You see, Caiaphas meant that as a patriotic plea. Let the one man, Jesus, die for our nation. Let's kill him to protect our nation. Let's kill him so we can continuously lord it over the people 
and have this corrupt religious system. We like it. But God sovereignly used those words prophetically. No, my son will die for the salvation of many. You see, God was in control of every aspect that led up to the crucifixion. You know, we frequently just look at the crucifixion, but we fail to look at the incarnation, his whole earthly ministry, his betrayal, his trial, his conviction, his arrest, his being beaten, tortured, crucified on the cross, buried, and on the third day he rose again. So we forget to look at all the things that led up to his crucifixion. That was part of his passion. That was part of his suffering. It wasn't that Jesus just stood on the cross and died. It, the events that led up to his crucifixion was a lot of pain and suffering that we often miss. Isaiah tells us Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As they led Jesus to Annas, he was the spotless lamb being ready for the final, ultimate Passover. You see, Jesus was led to the slaughter. And guess what? So will you and me. We will all be led, led to the slaughter as Christians. When the world gets the drift that you're a follower of Christ, they will lead you to the slaughter. You may not be tried, convicted, crucified the way Jesus was, but the world will slaughter you. How? Accusing you of things you have not done. They'll persecute you. You might lose your job. You might be estranged from your family and friends. And so on. The way Jesus was a threat to the Jewish traditional religious system and they wanted him dead, is the same idea. Your Christian life is a threat to this world system, and the world would like nothing more than to get rid of you. And up to this point, back in our text, Peter and John seem to be doing good, following Jesus as he was being led to his trial. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. First of all, another disciple may have been John. There's some controversy on that. I personally, in my studies, I think it's John. Um, but we're not 100% sure. And the reason why I think it was John is a couple of reasons. John frequently doesn't give his name in the gospel. For example, in John chapter 20, verse 2, he refers to himself as the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Imagine being that confident. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. He wasn't being arrogant. He just knew that Jesus loved him. Do you know that Jesus loves you? As a Christian, you know? Can you say without a shadow of doubt, Jesus loves me? In another passage of scripture, we see a close connection with John, which was Peter. They had a close connection between John and Peter. So I think more than likely another disciple refers to John. But whoever he was, this disciple was known to the high priest and had access to the courtyard and got permission 
to allow Peter in also. Peter was now in the high priest's courtyard with this other disciple. And they were following Jesus up to this point. They were doing good. They wanted to be near their Messiah, which is very normal. I mean, if you don't want to be near Jesus, there's something wrong. You can possibly be a Christian and not want to be near Jesus. You know, and, and their attentions seemed very good, following Jesus, wanting to be near Him, but good intentions are not enough. Even though Peter wanted to be near Jesus, good intentions, denial was right at the door of his heart. Good intentions, by the way, never saved anyone. Good intentions never helped the Christian fulfill the will of God for their lives. It's reliance on God and His Word by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Peter, at this point, was not empowered and was certainly not, he didn't learn how to rely on God yet. Remember, earlier Peter boasted about himself that he would never deny Christ and would die for Him. Good intentions, but no reliance on God and no power. Jesus was getting ready to be tried, but guess who else was being ready to be tried? Peter. Jesus was going to an official trial. Peter was going on an unofficial trial. Jesus was going on trial because it would lead the spotless Lamb of God to the cross for the redemption of our lost souls. We also go to trial because our souls have been redeemed and now we are followers of Jesus Christ. I remember this saying which should make us think. Maybe some of you remember this saying. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a good thing to think about, isn't it? Listen, if you're a believer, make no mistake about this. The world is putting you on trial. And when tried, will you be convicted? Nothing has changed. The world still hates Christ. And they can't get the Christ anymore. Because what happened to the, the physical Christ? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's not here physically. So guess what? They turn, the world turns their hatred on the church. Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. He said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. You know, Paul wasn't saying Christ's afflictions were not sufficient and somehow he had to finish the suffering. You could read that and think that, but that's not what he was saying. God forbid we should think that way. What he was basically saying, that the church will suffer for the sake of the gospel. And also because the world still hates Christ and wants to hurt him. Dr. John MacArthur says, Paul was experiencing the persecution Intended for Christ. Christ's enemies had not gotten their fill of afflicting injury on him. So they turned their hatred on those who preached the gospel. It was in that sense that Paul filled up for what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. The suffering continues for Christ's body, namely the church. They can't try and convict and crucify Jesus anymore. So let's get to the church of Jesus Christ. Point one, because your faith in Christ, you will 
you also are on trial. Point two, because of your faith in Christ, you will also be questioned. Not only was Jesus tried, he was questioned, which of course is part of the trial. Let's go to verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. See, Annas questions Jesus about his following, his disciples, and his doctrine. Why did they want to know about his disciples? They weren't part of the trial. They probably feared a conspiracy. They probably feared some sort of revolt. Also, they questioned his teaching so they could find something wrong with Jesus and force Jesus to incriminate himself. Once again, this trial was not legal. They were supposed to have witnesses to bring charges against Christ. It was illegal in their system to have accused the accused, which is Jesus, to testify against himself. They needed witnesses to establish the case. Of course they had none. They had no witnesses. Everything about this trial was a fraud. Their questions, it was, it was a farce. It was a mockery of their own legal system so they could continue to lord it over the people of Israel and they can continue to their corrupt religious system. That's all they were interested in. They predetermined the guilty verdict and the death sentence before this hearing took place. You know what? They were Calvinists. They didn't even know it. They, they believed in predestination and election. Do you know that? They predestined Christ to be found guilty and elected him to be crucified. In other words, they were already bent on getting rid of Jesus. There was no trial there. They were just trying to show the people, hey look, we, we tried him, we found him guilty. But there was nothing there that was proving Jesus of his guilt. Jesus quotes the Psalms concerning himself. He says, they hated me without cause. By the way, the world hates you without, without cause. Listen, not only was Jesus questioned falsely, but every believer since then and has been and will be questioned by the world system concerning their belief in Jesus. Jesus said in, in John 15, verse 20, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They question Jesus, they're going to question you. Peter was also questioned, but not exactly like Jesus. The servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter in verse 17, you also are not one of his, this man's disciples, are you? See, Peter was questioned three times with the same question concerning his connection and his relationship to Christ. Being questioned wasn't foreign to Paul the Apostle either. Paul was standing in front of the, the, the Jewish leaders uh, when Paul was in Athens, in Athens waiting for Timothy and Silas to come from Berea to meet him there. He began to converse with the Jews and some philosophers. And some began to question his teaching because they never heard that about the resurrection. Paul answered their questions and they listened. But when he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was a mixed reaction. Some mocked, some wanted to hear some more, and some believed. Not all questions that you're going to get 
It's a false pretense. Not all of them. Some are genuine. Some are seeking salvation because the Father is drawing them to the Son. Their questions are sincere. And we need to be patient and answer their questions. Listen, when, when the jailer in Acts 16 ran and fell before Paul and Silas and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That was a genuine question. He didn't say, yeah, what must I do to be saved? No, he said, Sir, he fell at Paul and Silas' feet trembling with a sincere question. What must I do to be saved? Obviously, he was sincere. And they answered, of course, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. So he was sincere. But when it comes to the world in general, their questions are always going to be to trip you up and find some way to prove you wrong and persecute you. That's the bottom line. Most. not saying all. I'm not making this an absolute. Most of the world wants to trip you up and persecute you. And if we lived in a country like North Korea, a very hostile country towards Christianity, their questioning to you would be the same motive as when they questioned Jesus. They would want to convict you, throw you in prison, and execute you. Not only in North Korea, in Sudan, in China. That's why we have underground churches. Have you ever been in a room full of unbelievers? Maybe a family function? They know you're a Christian, they start firing questions at you one at a time, like a machine gun. Well, if there's a good God, why is there so much suffering? Did you ever hear that one? Or, why doesn't God stop the evil in this world if he's so powerful? Or, this is a famous one. Are you telling me that God will send a good person to hell because he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ? You mean, he could help the poor... He could go to church on Sunday, but because he doesn't really believe in Jesus like you believe in Jesus, you're telling me God's going to send him to hell? See, the fire questions at you. Why did they question Jesus? Because they wanted to get rid of him. Why will they question you? Because they want to get rid of you. They want you to stop telling them about Jesus. The world does not like to hear about the Christ. When they question Jesus, Jesus answers truthfully, doesn't he? Let's go to verses 20 and 21. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. You see, as you read that, it, it almost seems that Jesus may be uncooperative. But it's not. First of all, he's taking the attention off himself, I mean off his disciples, and putting the attention on himself. They had nothing to do with the trial. His disciples had nothing to do with the trial. He was protecting them. Isn't that a good savior? Good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. But always protecting them. Even though he knew Peter was going to deny him, he still protects them. He doesn't answer Annas concerning his disciples, nor does he answer about his teaching. Even though Jesus doesn't answer the questions Annas asked, he answers what Annas needed to hear. Jesus spoke openly, 
wherever he spoke. He never spoke secretly. What he told his disciples, he told others. His message was the same privately and publicly. But what Annas and those around him needed to hear was this. Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. You know what Jesus was basically saying? I want a proper trial according to the law. He wanted Annas to produce witnesses, which would have not been hard at all since Jesus spoke openly and publicly. But you see, Annas' hypocrisy was now being exposed. Dr. John MacArthur says, the Lord unmasked Annas' hypocrisy and challenged him to present his case and call witnesses. See, Jesus did answer truthfully. You're doing this illegally. Get me witnesses. And Jesus was acting biblically. Moses said it, and Paul said it. Moses said it in Deuteronomy. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Why did the rules change for those who kept the, the, the smallest detail of the law? Why did they now change the rules? Because they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, when questioned, didn't answer truthfully, did he? You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. He didn't answer truthfully. Well, before you condemn Peter, before I condemn Peter, do you always answer truthfully when the pressure is on and the people question you about your Christianity? Do you soften the truth by softening the message? When you soften the message, you water down the message so you can be accepted, you're not being truthful. We're not called to water down a message. Truth is whole, not part. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, Satan came to him and said, you could jump off this pinnacle because you're not going to strike your foot against a stone because the angels are going to lift you up. And Jesus said, yeah, it says that, but it also says, do not test the Lord your God. So truth is whole, it's not part. Maybe sometimes when questioned about the gospel we're proclaiming, we leave out the consequences of rejecting Christ for the forgiveness of sin, which is hell. We're not being completely truthful then. I'm not saying that we should just focus on hell, hell, hell. You know, we're not a, we're not, we don't want to be fire, hell, and brimstone preachers all the time. We want to talk about the grace of God, but we want to tell people there is a consequence for rejecting Christ. And if we leave it out, we're not being completely truthful. Many have come to faith in Christ because of a fear of hell. I was one of them. Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was all about hell. And I'm sure many have come to faith in Christ because of that timeless message. May God help us to be truthful and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is within us. Jesus answered truthfully and he paid for it. Verses 22 and 23. 
When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? You see, Jesus is struck by this officer, another illegal act, especially that he wasn't convicted. The world responds harshly when answered truthfully. I don't know about you, but a lot of times people don't want to hear the truth. And when you tell them the truth, they get angry. Truth makes unrepentant sinners angry. And sometimes they lash out either verbally or sometimes maybe even physically. My wife one time gave a tract to someone. It was a homeless man. The guy got up and kicked her right in the shin. It hurt her. I was never attacked physically. Interesting. Jesus is struck by an officer because he thought he was being disrespectful to the high priest. But the officer just struck the eternal high priest. The one seated at the right hand of God as I speak. He struck Almighty God. When Paul stood before the Sanhedrin, he was also illegally hit by the order of the high priest. But Paul got angry and said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? See, but Paul wasn't like Jesus. Even Paul's humanity came in over here, because he didn't recognize that that was a high priest. And the law says, don't speak evil of your high priest. So he didn't know. And matter of fact, Paul apologized after someone rebuked him for insulting the high priest, because Paul didn't recognize him. I never was hit for speaking the truth of the gospel. But some have lashed out at me verbally. I mean, really. I mean, I, I told a story once before. I was talking, I was on my job and I was talking to this man, just came out of the army, young guy. And I was telling the whole mailroom the gospel and like I always did every time I went there, I was there every day. And this guy was listening to me and I thought he was enjoying it. And then I stopped, I paused and he lashed out to me verbally so strongly that I'm not going to say I got scared but I was taken back because the veins, his face turned red the veins was pop, were popping out of his neck I mean he really lashed out at me so some of us may not be lashed out physically, especially in this country, if you're in other countries it's going to happen, it will happen in the third world countries that, well not even the third world country in the hostile countries that are hostile towards Christianity, they will more than likely beat you physically. Um, but you, you will be lashed at verbally at some point. I've read multitudes of stories of Christians abroad who were arrested, questioned, convicted, tortured, and some died for just telling the truth, just because they told the gospel, just because they professed Christ. That was their, their crime. Their crime was speaking the truth of Christ in love. Anyway, back in our text, verse 24 says, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. They were getting nowhere with Jesus. So they sent him to Annas, son of law of Caiaphas. As I said before, he was the legal high priest, and it was the only one who could legally bring charges against him to Pilate. Why were they getting nowhere with Jesus? Because they wanted Jesus to incriminate himself 
and he didn't. He couldn't. So the trial continues, this time with Caiaphas. Now John doesn't give us the details, but Mark does. When Caiaphas asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said in Mark 14, verses 62 through 64, he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. They got what they wanted. This is what they wanted. That is until they face him on judgment day, right? Point one, because of your faith in Christ, you are also on trial. Point two, because of your faith in Christ, you will also be questioned. And point three, I'm going to leave this at your, the door of your conscience. Because of your faith in Christ, is it possible to deny him? Verses 17, and then we'll look at 25 and 27, 227. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Verse 25, 26, and 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. You see, the plot is thickening over here. John switches scenes. The text starts, as I started, with Jesus, then shifts to Peter, then back to Jesus, and now we're back to Peter. It's like reading a novel or watching a play. Or in the final act where Peter fails miserably. You know something? I'm, I'm kind of glad Peter failed miserably in one sense because I know I'm in good company. And so are you. He questions three times about his, he's questioned three times about his relationship to Jesus. He had this great opportunity to be identified with his Savior. But because of fear, it was fear, Peter denied him, not once, not twice, but three times. What was Peter's problem? The first thing we understand is the darkened human heart Peter had. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, Peter did not understand at this point his deceitful, sick heart. If he did, he would have never boasted to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And when Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night, impetuous Peter responds, though they all fall away, Jesus, because of you, I will never fall away. But Jesus, being God, in his omniscience, knew not only Peter would deny him, but deny him three times. I want to show you two things that may have contributed to Peter's failure, which of course stem, stems from a sick, depraved heart. And it's a warning to all of us as well. Number one, verse 18 says, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Peter, first of all, was standing with unbelievers. Peter was with unbelievers 
who obviously were not sympathetic towards Jesus. Let's look at Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, Peter was hanging around sinners who, again, couldn't care less about Jesus. Now, we don't know the conversation that was going on when they were standing around warming themselves, but I suspect that the conversations were negative and intimidating. And as you read their questions to Peter, you could see that it was negative and intimidating. Maybe Peter should have been praying and calling on the Lord for strength away from the hostile crowd. We need to be careful who we hang around with. Now, this is not saying that we don't hang around with people in the world. But there are times where we get so comfortable around unbelievers that when the subject of Christianity comes up, we're too weak to be identified with Christ. That's why I believe we need frequent fellowship, we need frequent prayer, we need frequent Bible study. We need strength. So when we're in the world, we won't collapse. I recently have been invited to enjoy breakfast on a regular basis with some good old friends and musicians from years ago that I was in a band with. You know, now that I'm retired, I could do these things. They like to reminisce, and I don't mind reminiscing as long as they don't cross over the line. The last time I got together with them, they got very close to the line, but they went over just a little bit. I gave them a little grace, but then they, they, they pulled back. You know, some of our past was very sinful, and I, and I, I choose not to dwell there too long. So I've been praying that God will make our, mean, uh, our meetings very meaningful. And the last time we met, when we were served our breakfast, I asked them if I could pray before we ate, and they graciously said yes. I prayed, and it was accepted. And actually, two of them told me they were moved to tears. If I didn't have the fellowship that I have, if I didn't have the Word of God saturating my mind and heart, if I didn't have Bible study, if I didn't have you know, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my wife, and people like Mary around my life, when I met with them, I may have been too weak to ask them to pray. I may have been too weak to talk about Christ to them. Listen carefully to me. I'm just as weak as Peter, and so are you. Peter failed because he was hanging around with the wrong crowd. The second thing is, Peter failed because he didn't know his own weakness. Know your weakness. You know why? God does. He knows your weakness. Verse 27 again. Peter again denied. This is the third time. And at once, a rooster crowed. Well, who said the rooster was going to crow? Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knew Peter's weakness. The very thing Jesus said would happen, happened. Dr. Philip Reichen uses a play on words with a certain song concerning Peter's three denials. He says, once, twice, three times a sinner. <laughs> now the other gospel tells us a couple of other things. John's gospel doesn't tell us. The third time he was asked, if he was with Jesus, he began to swear. In other words, he used God as his witness. 
that he did not know Jesus. And if, and if Peter was saying, if I'm lying, I should die by the hand of God. That's what he was basically saying. Thank God for his great grace. Thank God for his great grace. Otherwise, Peter and all of us would be under the wrath of God forever. And then Peter denied him that he was one of his disciples. And the third time, the prophecy was fulfilled. The rooster crowed. The other three Gospels tells us that after the third denial, Peter wept bitterly. Only Luke gives the full description that after the third denial, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Could you imagine that? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. I'm never going to deny you, Lord. He denies him three times, the rooster crows, and Jesus looks at him. Now, I don't know what kind of look he gave him, but knowing the Savior, how he's a kind shepherd, even in the midst of his suffering, I don't know how he looked at him. But I know it wasn't a condemning look. I can tell you that. Peter did not understand his weakness. Jesus told him, Satan, Peter, wants to sift you as wheat, and you're going to deny me. Jesus knew Peter's weakness, but Peter didn't know his own weakness. God's word warns us over and over again that we are weak and frail apart from him. It over and over again tells us that in our weakness, if we depend on Him, then we're strong, as Paul said. Yes, Peter sinned against the Lord and denied Him. It was an extremely serious sin, denying the only one who could save Peter from the eternal wrath of God. But here's the grace and the beauty that the Gospel shows us. In just a few short hours, and I want you to hear this, in just a few short hours, the penalty of Peter's sin of denial was going to be paid by the very one he denied. As a matter of fact, my denials have been totally paid by the one I denied. I, John Verdi, no longer carry around the shame of my sin. And because of his great grace in my life, guess what? I don't want to deny him anymore. You know, people have this thing, you know, about grace. You can't preach too much grace. I think you would question that one time. You can't, you go, otherwise people are going to go out and say, no, grace has the opposite effect. When you understand the grace of God, it makes you not want to sin. I love my wife. I don't want to offend her. Why would I want to offend the one who went to the cross and died for me? Let me conclude here. Jesus was tried, questioned, and denied in accordance with the Father's will for our redemption. Don't be surprised if you're tried and questioned because of your redemption. Don't be surprised. And I say don't be surprised because if you're surprised, there's a good chance you will deny it. It is, is it possible and I want to ask this question. I want you to think about this. Is it possible for a true, genuine believer, one who has been purchased with the blood of the Lamb, can that person deny Christ? Ultimately deny Him? No. But can a genuine believer in a moment of ungodly weakness deny Him? Yes. Yes. Peter was ultimately restored three times, but a one he denied, right? 
and was filled with the Spirit of God at Pentecost and gave an astounding sermon at Pentecost. 3,000 souls came to Christ. He became a pillar in the church and wrote three magnif- uh, two magnificent epistles. But when the Gospel in Galatians, Paul talks about this, went to the Gentiles, he began to have fellowship with these Gentiles until the legalistic Judaizers came in and he began to withdraw from them out of fear. His actions as a genuine believer was perverting the pure gospel. And in, his, in essence, he was denying Christ. And Paul had to rebuke him publicly. By Peter's action, he denied Christ. Not ultimately, not ultimately, but out of weakness. Peter, of course, repented and continued to be a great apostle. Our actions and our sins can deny Christ. Make no mistake about that. But he has great forgiveness. Trust in his grace, please. Trust in the Savior. And if you've denied him, repent, turn to him. Why? Why was Peter forgiven and Judas was not forgiven? It's a very simple answer. I mean, they both denied him. Peter, the, Peter betrayed Christ. He betrayed him. I don't know the man. Why was Peter forgiven and is in heaven now ruling and reigning with Christ? And why was Judas not the son of... Why is he called the son of perdition and is in hell? Because Peter genuinely repented. God's loving kindness led him towards repentance. Judas, Judas was remorseful. Remorseful, being remorseful is not enough. He was remorseful, but he never turned to the Savior for forgiveness. And of course, he was the son of perdition. So, my, my, my encouragement to you tonight is if you've denied him, he has open arms, He's gracious and he will forgive you.